0: Thank you, Tim. Thank you, praise team. What a wonderful time of worship we have had thus far, and by God's grace, it will continue as we study God's Word together. Let me invite you, if you uh, have your Bible with you, turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one out of the pew rack in front of you, and you can turn to 2 Corinthians, and then you can take that Bible home with you as a gift uh, from us to you today. And as we come back into 2 Corinthians, we recognize we started uh, looking at 2 Corinthians last week, and we did not make it very far. We made it all the way through two verses. So as you're turning there in your Bible, it's it's natural for us as we think about uh, walking into this text and really looking at the rest of our lives, we naturally, and it really just comes out of us, people praise what they enjoy. That's one of the reasons when we got here today, one of the first things we started talking about was college football is back right? We all run into each other. We're all starting to talk about, you know, football this and football that and why uh, three-peat is right around the corner and all these other things. And so we, we naturally talk about and praise these things that we enjoy, but it's not just true about sports. It's true about all manner of different things. It's the way we talk about relationships. It's the ways in which we talk about our family. And as our enjoyment grows, the more praises come pouring out of our mouths. And so what we're being led to here in 2 Corinthians is to see that we are to praise and enjoy the God of all comfort. That whatever you brought in here today, whatever circumstances you may be walking through, you need to know that God is at work in the midst of it. You are not haphazardly thrown into these things, but a mighty, glorious, gracious, comforting God is at work in this moment now. May our heart's affection and our mind's attention turn to Him. As you grab your copy of God's Word and read with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, and we'll read down through verse 7. And this is what we read. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. comfort. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, we need you. God, we have come in here perhaps looking nice but tattered on the inside with needs that we have not articulated well and, Father, needs that only you could explain. But, Father, we are here under the acknowledgement also that you are sufficient for all things. So in this moment now, Lord, we look to you. Teach us to praise you for who you are. Teach us to enjoy you in the wonders of your great work. And Father, we pray that in all things and in every way, we may come away having read and studied your word today, saying, look at what our God has done, and look at what our God is doing. Father, stir our hearts, awaken them together here today. And Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name and for his glory. Amen. So as we come back into the text of 2 Corinthians, we recognize there's not a whole lot of context to talk about. We've, we talked about the introduction, a compelling introduction at that, and we saw how all the connections with Corinth and the whole of Achaia, and we really saw how... It's really a declaration of grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And that in admitting our weakness, we acknowledge God's strength and our need for Him. And so He jumps right in here in verse three where He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting even looking at this because a lot of times we get stuck trying to answer the question well, where to begin? Where does this start? Right, You pull the games out of the, the cabinet, and you sit down with your kids like, oh, how are we going to start this? Where do you begin? You start with worship. Here's where it starts. Begin here. Because in doing so, it sets our aim, it sets our focus for how we understand everything else. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. See Him as worthy of all praise. Notice how he is even mentioned here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, even within here, you could really pull from this text itself an embedded affirmation of the reality of the Trinity. But even here, we need to acknowledge as we speak of God who is the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we have to acknowledge that, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus is the Son of God in a unique way. He's the eternal Son of God. He shares the same nature with God because He is God. And so the sonship of Jesus is very different from the ways in which you and I become children of God. Jesus is Son of God on account of His own nature and His own identity. We become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sin and rose from the dead. Look to Him. Look to the Father. Of the Lord Jesus, look to the one through whom we have, through Jesus, we have access to. Look to the one to whom Jesus Himself prayed when He was living His days here on Earth. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how He's even described here: the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. That as we talk about Father of, you even use that terminology. I mean, we use that terminology even still in the same way in talking about the originator, or the one from whom all th- something originates. I mean, you can talk about the father of modern medicine, Hippocrates, right? You can mention a name like Ed Roberts. and talk talking about the father of the personal computer. Or maybe somebody you're all going to remember after we get out of here today. A man who in 1762, a man by the name of John Montague, who was sitting around playing games with his friends and he didn't want to get up, so he had his butler put a piece of roast beef between two pieces of bread. John Montague, the fourth Earl of Sandwich. The father of the sandwich. Our God is the father of mercies of compassion and kindness towards us, that he looks at us in our weakness, not with a skeptical eye, but with mercy. There's mercy in salvation, and yet there's mercy in his ongoing care and his ongoing help, the ways in which he he even provides for us medical care and the ways in which he works in ways that medical care can't even explain. He's the father of all mercies. Worthy is he to be praised. And he is the God of all comfort. And interestingly enough, the word that's used here for comfort repeatedly in this passage of Scripture, the same word translated into a name form is the same word that's used as a name for the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who comforts us, who encourages us through all the testing and all the hardships of life. And really, the picture is that it's somebody who draws near in the midst of affliction, To give us comfort. Because many of us have walked down roads before in the past where we have gone through afflictions and it feels like we're all by ourselves. Where is everybody? Where'd they all go? It's like everybody's scattered to the wind all of a sudden, but not God himself. Not the Father of mercies. He's the God of all comfort. He doesn't shrink back. He is attentive. Praise Him for who He is. Because He lives up to His name the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Praise Him for who He is and praise Him for what He does. Because verse 4 goes on to say, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And I know we refer to this passage all the time because it's just fun to say out loud. Notice what God is doing here. He comforts us in all of our affliction. It's not just that He has the name. He has the name because of who He is and what He does. He comforts us in all of our affliction. All of the, even the word itself, the distresses, where you feels the pressure amping up and you feel stuck or hemmed in. Maybe it's through all the dead-end turns that you've just, all the dead-ends that you feel like you've made in life, all the wrong turns that have led you in all the wrong places. Maybe it's in the midst of physical stresses, all the anxiety and the worry and all the ways in which you look at the, the reality of life on a regular basis and say, there's no way. You just get a little grayer, you just get a little bolder, and you just get a little higher blood pressure. Or maybe it's all the spiritual realities and all the temptation and all the pressure to conform to the pattern of this world or all the temptations to just take a taste of the fleeting pleasures of sin for a season as opposed to the treasures of Christ. And it's in the midst of all of that. He comforts us in our affliction. He encourages us. He corrects us. He warns us. He guides us. All of those are aspects of His comforting work. But it's not just that we are all silos. And he comforts this one over here, and that's great. And he'll comfort this one over here, and that's great. No, no, no. He's doing something much bigger and better than that. He comforts us in all of our affliction. Why? So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So that as as his spirit is at work within us, who are his believers in standing up to the heat and pressure, He is the distinction. See, he's not leading us around all of the afflictions. He's actually leading us right through the afflictions and saying, I'm the one who will sustain you. In this world, you will have tribulation. Same word that's being used there is being used here. But take heart. As Jesus said in John 16, I've overcome the world. So when you look at your circumstances and you say, How will I make it through? You can have the living memory of the sufficiency of God amid your weakness. See, it's by His comfort that He comforts us, but it's also by His comfort that He equips us to go comfort somebody else. But see, the commonality here, a lot of times we get trapped in saying, well, I don't understand their exact affliction, so I can't help there. But see, as we're being taught here, that's not what... Paul is saying here, he's saying, look, you get comfort in your affliction so that you can comfort those who are in any affliction. The commonality is not in the shared suffering to its exact point. The commonality is I am weak and God is strong. I can't, but God can. So, I may not be able to explain the nuanced details of everything that's going on in your life, but I can tell you for sure God is faithful. God is mighty, God saves, God works, and God comforts. So you can look at your own life, and the hardships, and the difficulties, and you can say, nothing is pointless. It's always applicable. You can face the pressure, not with a sense of, woe is me, but you can face the pressure with the comforting work of God in your life, and you can say, here am I, Lord, send me. As you navigate the hard road of grief. It doesn't mean we deny the reality of how difficult it actually is. It means that we embrace the reality of how difficult the difficulty is so that we may rest in the sufficiency of Christ. We're not in denial. We're admitting our weakness and admitting God's strength. So as you're navigating grief with tears in your eyes and a hole as it feels in your life, you recognize God's grace is sufficient. As you walk down the road of all of the parentings and all, uh, parenting realities, of all the joys and all of the griefs, all of the worry and all of the fear, all the fruitfulness of grace and the gospel, as you walk through the realities of singleness, as you walk through the realities of work or retirement or whatever the circumstances may be, However, God works out comfort in your lives is not simply so that you can take it and say, "Thank you very much, it's so that you can take it and find somebody else who's hurting, and go comfort them in the name of the Lord Jesus who comforted you. We comfort with the comfort received. We're not reservoirs. We're not designed to be. We're conduits. We're not meant to be retention ponds, but pipes, passing it on, enjoying the comfort, and then enjoying passing it on because in doing so, we're watching, look at how God is amazing in my own life. I'm going to turn around and get, have another reason to praise him as the God of all comfort who comforted me, comfort somebody else. We get to witness and be a part of that and see that and live that and what joy there is in it. So praise the God of all comfort amid your weakness. God is faithful. There's comfort in the gospel. He even goes on to say in verse 5, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. As it can be translated as the sufferings of Christ abound for us. What is he talking about here? We're talking about being identified with the suffering of Christ. But identified with the suffering of Christ in two ways. One of it is that we benefit in an abounding way from the sufferings of Christ. But it's also that our behavior is shaped by the sufferings of Christ in an abundant way. How do we benefit from the sufferings of Christ? It's our salvation, right? Jesus died on the cross for our sin. He endured the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin. He became a curse for us to save us, that God is both just in the sense that our sin is punished in Christ on the cross and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He suffered in our place and died and rose again. And we, by faith, are forgiven and justified and redeemed and reconciled and full of peace and hope and life for all eternity. We have benefited to an abounding degree, have we not? But see, we also identify with Jesus in His behavior that He is Worth it. Following Christ is worth it, no matter what the circumstances of life may bring. This is found all over the place within the New Testament. Romans chapter 8, verse 17, in talking about us being heirs with God because of faith in Jesus Christ and calling God our Father, he says, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is talked about in Philippians chapter 3, about the worth and worthiness of Christ, that we would suffer with him, becoming like him in his death, in order to enjoy the resurrection. You can even turn the page in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11, that says, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. Or as Jesus told us in the Sermon on the Mount, rejoice and be glad when you're persecuted and mistreated on account of the sake of the gospel, on account of Jesus. You can think about it with the apostles in Acts chapter 5. They rejoiced in the fact that they were worthy to suffer on account of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we stand, looking around, understanding the fact Things may have taken a more hostile turn in our own culture than we would like to remember. Take a stance on biblical ethics, maybe you'll suffer for it. Take a stance on biblical marriage, maybe you'll suffer for it. Take a, a, a stance on biblical gender, biblical boundaries for sex, biblical salvation that you must repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ in Him alone. It very very well may lead to any measure of suffering. But as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. What are we afraid of? What's around the corner? What is it that we are expecting? Abounding comfort so that no matter what, there's comfort in Christ always and there's always more than enough. Abounding in the sense of overflow. Overflow. See, we, we, we read all these wonderful biographies, and rightly so. If you're not reading, I would encourage you, go back and do it. Read, read Elizabeth Elliot's biography Through the Gates of Splendor. Go read about her and her husband going to serve Christ to go reach the unreached and her husband being martyred and her living the rest of her life trusting that Jesus had a plan and all of that, and ultimately seeing many from that tribe itself come to faith in Christ. You can think of the words of Elizabeth Elliot, where she once said, "To be a follower of the crucified means sooner or later a personal encounter with the cross." You can think of Corey Ten Boom. In the midst of World War II and all the craziness that's going on, there she is as a Christian with her family hiding Jews from the Nazis and ultimately going to a concentration camp because of it. And in the midst of her biography, you may read her sister tell her this there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. Or you can think of John Harper. A pastor who was sailing from from England all the way over to the United States who happened to be on a ship called the Titanic, who spent his final hours swimming around in a frozen sea, repeating Acts chapter 16, verse 31, to person after person, to person after person, leading them to faith in Christ before he slipped off in death in the sea. We read these wonderful biographies. How could God do that? How could he work so mightily? But we need to recognize that the biographies that will encourage the believers of tomorrow are being written today. The God of all comfort is still at work. He's still mighty. He's still working. He's still doing. And we ought to expect nothing less. Praise the God of all comfort amid our weakness. expect abundant comfort no matter what your circumstances look like right now but I wonder do you are you looking at reality and being like you think God's going to use this yes can God come for me in this yes And so that as we trust in Christ, if you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you can face the pressures of life, not with why me, God, but with teach me, God, and use me for your great glory. Praise the God of all comfort amid your weakness. And enjoy unshakable hope in Him. Because in verse 6, he goes on to say, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. It's like Paul's doing scenario analysis here. It's like, if this, then that. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. Parents do this with their kids all the time. We do this with everybody, You know, no matter what the context of your work is. If you do this, this is what's going to happen. We do this at school all the time. If this is what you're doing, this is going to be your result. If you wait till the last minute to do your science project, you're going to get an F. Been there, done that. So what does he say if we are afflicted it's for your comfort and salvation It's an admission of the fact that everything in life is not going to be enjoyable I mean you can go on and later even in 2 Corinthians and you can read all about the apostle Paul's afflictions suffering being beaten and shipwrecked hungry starving not having a place to sleep It's not a vague possibility. As we read this, it is reality. And it's affliction on account of the gospel. But it's not meaningless hardship. He says if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. Encouragement to continue to follow Christ. It's like the Apostle Paul with tears in his eyes and love in his heart. Thinking of the Corinthian brothers and sisters and saying, if if Christ is sufficient for what I've walked through, he's sufficient for you too. In the advance of the gospel, he's worth it. He says, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and for your salvation. Salvation both in the sense that Paul suffered in order to make Salvation known, but salvation also in the sense of your continued growth and maturity in Christ. But do we see Jesus as worth it? Can we look at our own afflictions and say, if I have to go through this in order that somebody may come to faith in Christ, is it worth it? Can you look at your circumstances and say, if I trust you now, is it worth it if my children and grandchildren come to faith in Christ? Because how we suffer testifies to our hope. Your grandchild that you have been praying for for years and years and years and years may come to faith in Christ after watching how you suffer through cancer. That's a hard thing to even say out loud, but it's true. That child that you have prayed for time and time and time and time again may very well come to faith in Christ when they see the hope that you have in Jesus in the midst of your grief and loss. That neighbor of yours that you have shared Christ with time and time again May very well come to faith in Christ as they watch you trust in the steadfast love of the Lord as you navigate the troubles and tribulations of life. It's not meaningless. What you're standing in the midst of right now is not meaningless. God is at work. That as He comforts you, He's going to work in ways that are beyond your imagination. He says, if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and for your salvation. We can see God's purpose in all this, to raise us up, to teach us, keep trusting, keep believing. He is sufficient. He brings comfort. We have salvation that even death itself cannot take away from us. Because even though we die, if we believe in Jesus according to His own words, yet shall we live, because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. No matter what, enjoy unshakable hope. And see, maybe you're reading this and you realize maybe you don't have that yet. And maybe you see how good God is and the fact that he's pointing this out and he's calling you to find refuge and rest in Christ. That this isn't all about a peaceful, easy feeling and everything's going to be hunky-dory with your life. This is about Jesus is sufficient. Jesus is amazing. Jesus is worth following. Let life remind you of God's sufficiency. And worship through the tears. And pray with broken hearts. And do so with unshakable hope through faith in Jesus Christ. Because if we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, It's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Enjoy the fact that God always provides more than enough. See, God is better at this than even your mama at Thanksgiving. There's always more than enough. You can keep going back time and time and time and time again, but there's always more than enough. He says, if we're comforted, it's for your comfort. God did that. Look at what he's done. As life squeezes, unshakable hope that the God of all comfort lives up to his name is displayed and we get to enjoy it. He says, "Which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Even the words that he's using there are meant to be this sort of verbal illustration because he's using a word that specifically refers to even in classical Greek that talks about a plant that's living in an environment that it shouldn't be living in. It's alive in circumstances where it should be dead. It's living in unfavorable circumstances. It's testifying to an internal strength that it's drawing strength that it does not naturally have, that plant shouldn't make it. And yet that plant is thriving. What a picture of a Christian. We're pilgrims and exiles here. This is not our home there's a lot of hurt and there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of difficulty and we look forward with great hope when every tear will be wiped away in Christ. And the fact of the matter is we look around us today and we'd be foolish to ignore the looming cultural crisis that we live in. The Corinthians didn't. He's writing about it all the time. He's saying, Look, you're living in a world that's just loaded with all manner of paganism and sexual depravity and all these different manifestations of it. Christ is worth following, even if you have to suffer for it. And see, we can read all these headlines about, you know, hate crimes legislation, holding fast to a biblical declaration. That marriage is between one man and one woman who are one man and one woman for their entire lives. That sex is within the boundaries of a one man, one woman covenant commitment for life in Christ. We can recognize the fact that you call people to repent and believe the gospel. He's the only way. That's not a message that's always well received, and it's getting worse. And we look around and be like, well, what do we have to look forward to? Because all we've got is worry and fret, and we read all these headlines. It's like, if I read Romans 1 on Facebook, am I going to wind up in prison? Who cares? God is the God of all comfort. Go read Romans 1. God will comfort you. But go read Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and all the way through 16. Go declare the the glories of Christ who has died on the cross and risen from the dead. We have everlasting life in his name. So we're not meant to look at our own circumstances and find ourselves so unnerved or so surprised that we'll be hated. Jesus told us, you will be hated for believing this. But Jesus also told us, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to stop it. He's going to do it. What are we worried about? Enjoy unshakable hope in Christ. As you do scenario analysis in your own life, like if I say this with this person, are they going to hate me? Maybe, but God may wake them up in the middle of the night, remind them of the words that you said, and lead them to faith in himself. This isn't about our own public relations campaign. This is about the glory of Jesus. He brings comfort. He brings life. He brings hope. What are you expecting? That's where we're led here in verse 70 He says, our hope for you is unshaken. for We know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Our hope for you is unshaken, steadfast, secure. You can walk on it. You can build your life upon it unshakable hope in the power of the gospel, the power of God to do in us and through us what we can't do on our own. Unshakable hope through all afflictions and all storms. He says, we know. So just as Tim pointed out a little while ago, the ways in which we use the word hope is so... It doesn't connect with the reality of the hope that we have in Scripture. We can hope that Ball State doesn't show up to play football next Saturday. We can hope that you have a sandwich when you get home. But our hope in Christ rests on something secure. Jesus died a real death for us. He really did live in perfect righteousness, was tempted in every way as we are, and yet was without sin, died a real death on the cross for us. In our place, He really did rise from the dead. We have unshakable hope. We have fellowship in that. As you share in sufferings, you will also share in comfort. As we have partnership and fellowship in the gospel and the shared community of it, as we engage in the same battle and the same effort, you also will share in comfort with absolute certainty because He speaks from experience. Keep trusting Keep looking to him. Praise the God of all comfort and enjoy unshakable hope in him so that you can look at your circumstances. I don't know what they may be, how hard they may be, how easy they may be. You may not know what's right around the corner, but I can tell you the God of all comfort is. So we need to let loose of focusing in on the circumstances themselves and fix our eyes on Christ and find unshakable hope in him. who live for his glory steadfast in the faith sure of hope and enjoy him forever but maybe we come to the end of verse 7 and you wonder are you praising and enjoying the God of all comfort has to start by faith. You have to recognize, begin in the right place. Because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all storing up wrath for the day of wrath. And if God were merely just, we would feel the weight of it. But God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God so loved us that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have everlasting life. Turn away from trusting in yourself. Turn away from the ways in which you have embraced your own sin patterns and your own sin reality. Turn, aways, turn away from the, the ways in which you think that you've got to save yourself. Turn and trust in Jesus who died on the cross for your sin and rose from the dead, and find reason to enjoy the God of all comfort for all eternity. If you're an unbeliever here this morning, take refuge and rest in the God of all comfort through faith in Jesus Christ for the first time. But if you're, a, if you're here and you're a believer here this morning, Maybe it's time for us to do a little scenario analysis for ourselves. Maybe it's time for us to just sit down and honestly, as we have an opportunity to respond and we sing together, maybe if you would just take a moment and ask God, Lord, teach me. Teach me to rest in you. Teach me to praise you as the God of all comfort in the midst of what I'm walking through right now. And Father, open my eyes to see the needs that are around me. That I wouldn't merely be a reservoir, but I would be a conduit of your comfort. However the Spirit works and leads in your heart and in your life today, I invite you to respond to him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are amazing. Lord, in your goodness and in your grace, Lord, we pray that you would lift our eyes to look to you. Father, may we leave this place with unshakable hope. And Father, we pray right now for those who have walked in here whose whole life is built on sinking sand. God, in your mercy and in your grace, open their eyes to see their need for Christ. Open their eyes to see their need for Jesus dying for them. Open their eyes to see their need for the resurrection power of Jesus rising again for them. And Father, in the work of your Spirit, let them come away today enjoying forgiveness, everlasting life, and comfort in your care today. Father, for all of us, lift our eyes to look to you and praise you and enjoy you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.